Welcome back to Echoes of Erin right here on Ross FM 94.6. And I uh, explained last week that I was reading a book called Cures of Ireland, a treasury of Irish folk remedies by author Cecily Gilligan. And uh, we have the pleasure of welcoming Cecily Gilligan to the show today. You're very welcome, Cecily, to Echoes of Erin. Hello, Louise, and thank you very much for having me on. Uh, delighted to speak to you and your listeners. Thank you so much. And uh, I found this book in, in Sligo and uh, as I mentioned last week's show, and uh, it's such a beautiful book, Cecily, and it's such a pleasure uh, to read it. And um, I was uh, looking forward to having a chat with you about it because um, you spent a long time researching for this particular book. And uh, I was thinking that this book feels like a literary pilgrimage. Can you tell us briefly about your journey? Yes, no, it's been take it's taken me many many years actually many decades uh to write it, but it's finally across the line so I'm delighted with that. Um I suppose it started in childhood really. I grew up on the farm in rural county Sligo and uh, uh I was particularly close to my grandmother who lived to a great age 100. And uh, she, we, we just, I suppose she filled my head full of the folklore and the old stories of old Ireland. Uh, the fairies and the banshees were very much alive and well in rural Ireland in those days. And the cures were also very much part of my, of my childhood as I growing up. Uh, people utilise cures quite frequently for, um, for humans and animals. So it was when uh, then a number of years later when I was in university uh, in Cork, Cork University, and uh, I was I did a project there of finding your thesis on the old cures, and part of that was uh, I researched people about almost thirty people that had cures, and I interviewed them, went out and interviewed them, which is probably the sort of most important part of my book and my research is the first-hand information, the oral collection, the folklore collection, really. And then, Louise, I had done that in university and, and it was a good piece of research and my supervisor at the time said it was really good and I should consider doing something with it. But yes. um, I left it until the early noughties, uh, until about 2005, and I came back to it. And then I went, I said, I'll, I'll start into this book now. Uh, and it took me about 15 years, basically, to complete it, you know, because I also work, I'm a primary teacher as well. I kept yes, going with it. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you uh, about that, actually. And I interviewed the people are their successors that had those cures from the late 80s that would have been originally. And then I ended up interviewing over 90 people who have cures around Ireland and a lot of them in the northwest. Yes. Um, and and you've, you're obviously very busy. You've got a, a career as a primary school teacher as well. How, how do you manage your time there with that? I mean, I know this, this book <laughs> took a long time, but uh, you did have a research project, which I'm sure assisted you uh, with the research for the book. But how, how yeah. do you manage your time there between your full time job and uh, being being an author? Yeah, so of course it took time, but uh, like everything else, it's just a, a bit of a juggling act or a balancing act. And uh, I spent about five years doing the research for it, primarily uh, talking, interviewing the people. Um, so I just I did it in between my 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 teaching job, and uh, kept kept all the balls in the air. And then I subsequently, uh, in in the years after that, I would have continued on research, but not necessarily talking to people, more visiting the holy wells and the pilgrimage sites around Ireland 
holy clays, holy stones, basically anything that's associated traditionally with healing and where people go and look for healing um, currently. That's what I was really interested in because there's lots of traditions and what people did in the past. But what I was really interested in was what people actually still use today. So all my cures are alive and well and being used, the ones I documented. And then similarly, say, with the holy wells or the holy clays or stones, the ones that people actually would still use for healing purposes. Yes, and uh, the book itself, uh, Cecily, is is beautifully published. And um, the illustrations in it, I mean, it's it's one of those books, as I said on last week's show, that uh, it's very reasonably uh, priced. And it's one of those books that you can have on your bookshelf um, and, and pass on through the generations. And uh, so what was that publishing experience like for you? Um, yes, Louise, thank you for those nice compliments. Uh, the publishing experience was actually very pleasant and very simple, actually, and quite easy uh, because the finishing the book, you know, getting it over the final line was was rather a challenge because, of course, it's always very hard when you have to self-motivate and keep going with these things. But I did, and I got it over the final line. And then I sent it out to a few publishers, and I was actually very lucky. Uh, a publisher decided to take it on literally within a few months. So I understand my experience. It's my first book, by the way. Uh, I think my experience is unusual, and lots of people with great books can be looking for years for a publisher. So I, I was very lucky, and um, I got a publisher very quickly, and it's all been quite a simple process my uh, and easy to deal with. Uh, my publishers are very impressed, based in County Kildare, and they've been wonderful to deal with and very supportive. And you mentioned the illustrations. Yeah, one of the things they... I, I do think they've turned my book into a very beautiful book. It's a hardback and very nicely presented. And then they commissioned um, an illustrator, a wonderful illustrator, Karen Vaughan, a Dublin woman. And she did very beautiful illustrations inspired by uh, by my writings and my experiences. That's fantastic. The so the publisher... I think they really add to the book. They really lift it. Yeah, so the publisher uh, chose the illustrator for you, was it? And then uh, you decided that you were going to go with this particular illustrator. Yeah, well, they you know they contacted me subsequently and they said, we'd like, we have an illustrator in mind that we work with and we'd like her to commission her to, to do the illustration. So I gave her ideas and then she put her own creative process. Um, and I think the final result is, is, is rather wonderful. Yes, absolutely. And that's fantastic. So the, the, the both of you through through your words and uh, your research and uh, with her imagination, you came together and and uh, the illustrations uh, are so beautiful with that. And the book uh, in conclusion is, uh, as I said before last week, is it's, it's a proper book, you know, to have in your hand. It's meaty and it's very reasonably priced. And uh, as an author, you come across in the book very passionate about Irish heritage and culture. So do you believe emotion is a requirement to writing a good book? Uh, Well, I do. I mean, I think that uh, anything you're passionate about, probably the result will be will be better and be more successful as a result. So I feel I feel quite passionate uh, about the cures, I think, uh, are quite, I suppose I would use the word fascinated. I think they're quite fascinating. I think it's amazing that they have managed to survive hundreds, if not thousands of years, and that people are still using them. So that really interests me. And, um, yeah, I, I'm very enthusiastic about my book. And I had a lot of fun out of it as well. You know, it was challenging on occasions, but uh, wandering around the countryside and trying to find people and uh, getting directions and some false leads and some 
some you know uh, good very good experiences so it was a pleasure going out really and talking to the people and people were very generous sharing their thoughts with me and their experiences um so yeah the um, and also i would say uh the heritage or I would see it very much you know that I'm documenting something uh, that maybe in a hundred years time when we're, when we're all gone uh, it'll be very it'll be a very important information and people will look back and say oh my goodness at the start of the 21st century that's what people in Ireland believed so you know Ireland is changing very quickly as we know each decade passes and it's important to document what currently exists and will be valuable in the future. So I suppose it's like living history. You don't really know you're in history. We're all living history all the time, aren't we, Louise? And then yes. it passes and it becomes history. And of course, you're sharing what your grandmother passed down to you as well. So you're sharing that with everybody, with all of us here that are reading your books. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, about the uh, the book and getting to a couple of the chapters, um, in reference to Roscommon here, you met some interesting people, um, and one of them was a faith healer, um, who lived closely to a lovely lake you say here and woodland in North Roscommon. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience and engaging with that individual? Yes, that was um, an older woman that I interviewed. Yeah, she lived in a lovely location in North Roscommon, and she was a faith healer. Uh, but the interesting thing about that lady was that she didn't use her hands. Generally, people would use their hands to heal. She used her foot. So uh, you went to see her, and she she treated all sorts of problems, whatever issues people had. It could be physical, often psychological she told me that depression was a big thing that people came to her looking for help, quite desperate looking for help. Um, and her her cure, yeah, it was a faith cure or prayer cure. So you came to her and say, for example, you said, okay, I've got a problem with my stomach, maybe I have ulcers or you know, an ongoing yes. stomach issue. So she actually placed her foot on your stomach and she said prayers as she held her foot in that position. She also asked the person that came to her to say prayers and you had to come, like many of the traditional Irish cures, you had to come to her, see her three times and she would um, do the, her healing work then and say the prayers. And the days uh, would be traditionally Monday and Thursday. So you had to come to see her on, on three, you know, usually Monday, Thursday and Monday or something like that. Yes. And she would have the healing done each time and then she believed that that could be quite effective. And she was definitely very popular and every week, um, you know, there could be quite a trail of people coming to see her. So it must have been effective. Her healing was effective, says Cecily. Yes, yes. No, she told me that she believed her healing to be healing to be very effective. And I suppose, like many people with cures, um, she would have said, uh, if you know, if it was ineffective, uh, people would stop coming to me. Of and course. I do think there's a certain truth in that that the word would get out if a cure is, you know, never effective or rarely works, that people would stop using it. I mean, what I conclude ultimately in my research was that I think, you know, cures, the traditional cures don't work for everyone and they don't work every time. But I think they do work for many people. So, um, and I think that's why they continue to survive and they wouldn't survive if they didn't sort of meet that need or um, were effective. Of course. And do you think that uh, the individual who's being treated needs to believe somewhat in the cure itself? Yes. Well, this was another question. I asked the people I interviewed a series of questions, and one of the questions was always about belief. So I would say to the person, do people have to believe in your cure for it to work? 
And the, the, the answers vary, but generally they would say, yes, it helps. Of course, it's important because I suppose it's empowering and it's positive. If you go for something and, you know, a cure and you believe that it's going to help you, you know, you're already starting on your healing journey, I would say. So they would say, yeah, generally that the belief is important. A few people have said it doesn't really matter. They might be healing a child, a baby, for example, of colic, or they might be healing an animal. So obviously they don't have that cognition that a, that a, that an adult would. Um, but, you know, I would say belief is probably an important part of it. Um, and then I asked the people, do you believe in your own cure? Cure, And of course, they overwhelmingly said they, they did believe it. And they said, well, of course, I wouldn't do it if, it did, if I didn't feel I was doing some good. I was helping people or that it wasn't effective. So I think, yes. yeah, belief is an important part of the cure And if you process. had a sick child or, you know, if you were at the end of your tether, basically, with an illness, you really, your will would be there, wouldn't it? You know, for to heal yourself. Yes, you yes. No, often there. people would say to me, because I'd say the other question I asked people was, why does someone come and get your cure rather than going to the doctor? Um, because people with cures have huge respect for modern medicine and they utilise modern medicine. And they'll often say to someone that comes to the cure, you know, maybe you should try the doctor first and come back to me if you want to ultimately. But um, it, they, they, they say different reasons why people come for cures. But one of them would be that it's a last resort. Maybe they've tried lots of other things. It could be chronic back pray, back pain, excuse me, or it could be like, you know, an ongoing a chronic skin condition like eczema or psoriasis. They've tried lots of other things and then they want to try something different and the traditional cure might be the answer or it might be something that's, that's able to help them. Yes, and uh, moving on to um, the next area that I'd like to speak to you about and that's sciatica. I think everybody has suffered at some point in their life with sciatica. I know I have had and I, I was at the end of my tether with that at one point and went to a psychic <laughs> healer um, and after that, whether it was all in my head or not, I'm not too sure, but uh, I, he, he cured me of the sciatica. Um, so that was amazing, but uh, you have a piece in your book um, uh, where you, you were at the edge of a, of County Roscommon town and um, you, you met uh, an individual who's, uh, who could cure sciatica. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was another man. Now, he was an older man also and he lived, uh, he lived close to a slide um, in County Roscommon, close to a large town. And um, I just say one thing about people might think that cures are primarily made by old people and that would appear to be the case. But what I discovered, it's not really just that um, everybody who makes a cure is old. Plenty of younger people and more middle-aged people are making cures, but people tend to hold on to them until they get quite elderly, until they think they might be going to die, and then they'll pass them on to a younger member, often of their own family. Yes, That's just the issue about uh, older people and cures. Anyway, this man that I interviewed, uh, yeah, he was an older man, and he had a very interesting cure. It was for sciatica, the back pain. Um, I'm laughing because um, you basically had to, when you came to see him, again, you came to see him three times, but uh, you had to bring water with you. And the water was a very specific type of water. It was water that had to be collected from a flowing river, but the river had to be a river that was between two counties. For example, in Roscommon, everybody know. Um, <laughs> okay. I know that's why I was laughing, Louise. <laughs> but uh, it sounds for people do this. So the cure was you had to do it, and he was very insistent, and people did it, and they came back with the water. You had to collect water at night time in the dark 
from a in flowing river between okay. two counties. <laughs> yeah. And in the Roscommon people and people in County Roscommon, he said, you know, go to Lanesborough. And as everybody will know, there's a nice bridge there over the Shannon between Longford and Roscommon. There is indeed. And, We're on uh, the Lanesborough Road here, Cecily. You know all about that. Sorry? We're on the Lanesborough Road here. So we definitely okay. know Okay. <laughs> so just to stay safe, he suggests you tie a string to a, a bottle. And you, d- you put the bottle down into the water and then you bring it back up and you have got some river water in your bottle. And then you bring that to him the next day. It has to be about the following day after being collected the night before. And then what he did was he, he, he put his finger in the water. He took the water, he put it on a little bowl and then he dipped his finger in the water. And then he placed that, he put his hand with the water on his hand on your sciatica, wherever you said the pain was the worst. He rubbed it around in that area. Yes. He also would have said prayers, and he said a lot of them would have been in the, in Latin. So that was something that was used maybe in Ireland. Interesting. The, 50s, the Latin mass. Beautiful. And then he, he would have asked the person to also say prayers. And again, you came back to him three times for that. I would call it a healing ritual. So it was a very old ritual. And that particular cure had been in his family for a few generations. He had intended to pass it on to his daughter, and that cure, like lots of cures, had to go change gender each time. So he had to pass it to a woman, and he had received it from a woman. His mother gave it to him, and he pretended to pass it on to a woman who would be his daughter. So that's another interesting aspect to the cures. Yes, that's that, that's really good. Um, well, I do know I'm I'm seeing it a lot around a lot more now. Books on it, and and people are talking about it. You know about about home remedies. I've always been interested in home re- remedies. Anyway, I don't like taking uh, tablets or you know um, anything like that for headaches. Uh, so I try to look for a home remedy first. That's just naturally how I have been. Um, uh, so for this, this for me was was uh, intriguing. You know, and I'm so delighted that I have the book now. So now I can pass it on, you know, to my family <laughs> and my family. And uh, so um, just uh, I have a question for you in reference to, um, you know, how, how you write. You write so eloquently and, and with att- that attention to detail. And um, I was just wondering if achieving your, your master's at UCC assisted you in the writing process. Um, well, thank you for that compliment, uh, Louise. And this is my first book, so I probably was a little bit unsure of my writing, but um, seemingly it's quite good. And uh, the master's degree and the undergraduate I have from Cork, uh, the undergraduate degree, what I felt, well, they both probably helped me with the academic writing or yes. the, you know, the how to research and how to do qualitative studies. So I would have felt that was very important because... My book, it is very, you know, I feel I tried to make it as thorough as possible and as comprehensive as possible. So it is almost like an academic study. But then in another way, I didn't want it to be too dull or to sort of be a PhD that ended up on a library shelf gathering dust. And I wanted to make it more interesting and engaging and personable. I and understand. People could, yes. Uh, would enjoy. And I think I hopefully have achieved that. Um I suppose the creative writing, uh, well, probably one of my main influences is reading. I read a lot. I love reading. And I think probably most people that write also read. And I'm a teacher. Obviously, I teach children. I would teach them. Literacy is obviously a huge part of the curriculum. often teach creative writing. I would always encourage the children to read because I think if you read, uh, people who read a lot will be better readers, obviously. They'll also be better writers. They'll be good at spelling and then the whole sentence, uh, how to form sentence, sentence structure, grammar, 
um, all all those essential components of writing will be will be more expanded vocabulary. They'll all be you know you'll have a better command of all those elements. So I would always yes. encourage the children in school to read, read, and to more read. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm not too sure about that whole creative process. I suppose it's like anything else; you do it and you explore it, and um, I think you do become better. Actually, you keep keep at it. Um, well, as you said, if you're passionate about it and it's something that, um, you know, you're really interested in and you want to share that knowledge and obviously you, you enjoy sharing knowledge. Uh, you're a teacher and uh, I can imagine you just want people to use their imagination also. That's what I get from the book. Um, it's, it's, I always describe reading for me. It's like if I read a good book, it's like a four course meal. You know, you feel satisfied <laughs> after you've, you've read it, you know, and uh, that's that's how I describe it. From That's my experience of, of reading anyway, um, that I, I can put it down or I can put it down until I at least get another few chapters in. Um, and that's how this book feels for me, Cecily. Um, so uh, just uh, another uh, story before uh, we wrap up um, this chat. Um, you were in another area of uh, County Roscommon. You were at uh, Keju Holy Well. Would you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about that experience that you had there? Yeah, so I have a chapter on the Holy Wells because they've been very important uh, historically, traditionally in Ireland as places of healing and where people went to find solace and find comfort and to find healing. Um, they'd often have a rag tree at them, uh, as in a tree, and then people would attach a personal item. It could be a ribbon or a rag or a necklace. And then people would believe as that sort of deteriorated the problem you had, the ailment would disappear with it also. So I went around a number of holy wells, including a lovely one in North Roscommon there at Kiju. And um, it's beside there's a lake, Loch Mila. There's a lovely yes. old graveyard just adjacent to it where Thurlock O'Carolan, the famous blind harpist uh, from many centuries ago, that's where he's buried. So at it's called St. Lazar, St. Lazar's Holy Well. Yes. Um, and it's a lovely little holy well, just there not far from the shoreline. And it's known for two particular cures. So some holy wells are used in general for healing and then some have uh, cures connected to them. So, for example, that's known for a wart, a wart cure. Um, and just beside the holy well, kind of lying into the earth, embedded in the earth, there's a nice stone, quite a striking stone, and it's got a hollow cut out of it. So water collects in this hollow, and then that's what's used. Uh, you rub that on your wart to get rid of them. So that's the wart okay. cure. And then just adjacent to the well, there's a nice altar. It's known as St. Ronan's Altar. Um, and St. Ronan would have been the father of St. Lazar. That's what we believe, and that's what the history books would tell us. So there is a stone plinth, like a slab, a grave slab almost, and that's elevated up on a few stone plinths. So basically the space underneath it for someone to crawl. <laughs> so basically what they say is that um, if you have, if you've got back pain or back problem, you go, you know, there is a good bit of space there, so you can do it relatively comfortably. Mm. So you crawl underneath the stone slab under the altar, and you go from the front to the back and from side to side. So you basically crawl, uh, your movement is in the shape of a cross, a crucifix. And that is traditionally believed to a cure for back pain. Okay, I must remember that one. It's, it's actually quite close toward, to me now. So, um, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners are very much aware of the Holy Well. And uh, there certainly has been some recent activity around Holy Wells and uh, definitely uh, all about cures 
and remedies. And uh, just uh, one more question for you in reference to being an author. And did you ever consider writing under a pseudonym? And if so, what kind of book? And if not, why not? <laughs> um, Louise, I haven't considered that yet, but you never know what will happen in the future. Um, no, I, I, I'm quite happy to use my own name, uh, but you never know in the future. Uh, but I know in the past, uh, especially for women, maybe it was harder for them to get published in the past. And women yes. often used uh, a male pseudonym or a different pseudonym, pretending there was somebody else in the hope of getting published uh, more quickly. But luckily in Ireland, uh, women are very uh, welcomed by the publishing industry, which is terrific. So um, I'll watch that space, Louise. And yeah, I'll watch that space too. I'll tell you privately <laughs> what my pseudonym is. How about that? Yes, that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, are there uh, uh, places now that people can go and see you, Cecily, and get their book signed um, over the next week or two or over the next month? Uh Yes, well, uh, I haven't. I had a lovely book launch just a few weeks ago in Libra Bookshop in Sligo, which is very successful. Yes. And lots of people turned up, and uh, it was a very pleasant and enjoyable night for all. Um, I haven't other book uh, launches organised at the minute, but probably some will take place. Um, so again, maybe just keep an eye keep an eye out for that. Merriam Press, my publishers, um, they they would notify if you could just look on the website there, and they will let people know if this book signing is taking place. But I'm Wonderful. open to that. Yeah, it's it's a very pleasurable experience, and it's actually lovely to meet people um, and to talk to them about the cures. And lots of people that come up to me had cure stories about they had cures, or they knew people with cures, or. So there's a whole world of information out there. So I found it quite fascinating and fun as well. That's fantastic. Cecily Gilligan, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us here on Echoes of Erin and Ross FM 94.6. And uh, just before Jeremy you go, yes, I, oh, uh, and just before you go, of course, uh, we always ask our guests, do they have a song request for us? So what would you like us to play for you, Cecily? Yes, so Louise, I've uh, reflected on that and I would like you to play uh, a Sinead O'Connor song. And uh, I'm very fond and I was very fond of Sinead and I'm very yes. sorry that, that she departed um, departed this, this year. And yes. she's a great loss to Ireland and to music and to the world, really. Absolutely. Wonderful woman, huge compassion, a great campaigner to help you know, people who are suffering injustices around the world. But um, I thought about it and I chose a, a song that she sings that is lesser known. It's an old song. It's called Her Mantle So Green. And it's a song or a ballad maybe from about 200 years ago. And it's about a woman and she's waiting for her lover to return from the war, the man she loves to come back from the war. Sounds good. And she gets news that he's <laughs> not going to come back, that he has died. Yes. So I, I just thought, I thought that was very relevant to, unfortunately, today. There's so much trouble in the world and... A lot of people waiting for people to come home from wars that probably won't come home. And obviously we have the Ukrainian war and then unfortunately more recently we have Palestine and Israel Israel, and a lot of people are suffering. So yes. I just thought uh, it may have been written 200 years ago, but it's very relevant to today. That's perfect. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Cecily. We will play that for you on Echoes of Erin. And it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you today. Okay. Thank you very much, Louise. Thank bye you. Bye. Take care, Cecily. See you soon.